Welcome to Freya's Fairy Tales, where we believe fairy tales are both stories we enjoyed as children and something that we can achieve ourselves. Each week, we will talk to authors about their favorite fairy tales when they were kids and their adventure to holding their very own fairy tale in their hands. At the end of each episode, we will finish off with a fairy tale or short story read as close to the original author's version as possible. I am your host, Freya Victoria. I'm an audiobook narrator that loves reading fairy tales, novels, and bringing stories to life through narration. I'm also fascinated by talking to authors and learning about their why and how for creating their stories. We have included all of the links for today's author and our show in the show notes. Be sure to check out our website and sign up for our newsletter for the latest on the podcast. Today is part one of two, where we are talking to Kelsey Ortiz about her novels. Over the next two weeks, you will hear about writing since first grade, taking seven years to write your first book, finding a narrator quickly after publishing, hiring a cover artist, developing stories from random ideas, promoting your books, copywriting your book to protect it, and her advice to new authors on setting goals for themselves. Bringer's Ascension Death is only a release. Pain is only numbness. Loneliness is only the beginning. Tormented by visions of the crushed and burned bodies of her guildmates, Ray Lynn, the only Lightbringer, hasn't stopped running. Accompanied only by a shadow who protects her from the Brotherhood's control, Ray Lynn fights against the fate she's been told about since childhood. But when her guardian steps out of the shadows, the carefully built walls around her crumble into dust to rid the world of the corrupt Brotherhood. Raylin must trust herself and to not be afraid of who she was born to be. Now, she has two choices to make. Will she succumb to the darkness in her soul? Or will she give in to the temptation of falling in love again? This show is Freya's Fairy Tales, and that is fairy tales in two ways, because fairy tales are something that we watched or read or listened to as kids. Um, And it's also the journey of you spending the weeks, months, years to write your book to hold that in your hands is also a fairy tale for you as the author. So I like to start off with what was your favorite fairy tale when you were a kid and did your favorite change as you got older? That is a good question. Um, You know, one that always comes to mind is Thumbelina. I loved, loved, loved that movie. Same. Um. It, it's just so good. It's a classic. But it probably, I think it has changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it depends on if we're watching something or reading something. If it's reading, I love Peter Pan retellings. Not necessarily the spicy ones, but Peter Pan <laughs> retellings are so yeah. good. <laughs> um, but then, you know, watching something, I always love The Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. It's so good. And so at what age did you actually start writing your own stuff? Ooh, so I started writing when I was tiny. Um, I think it was like first grade or so that I wrote a whole little novelette, I guess, about a zebra who had to go save his butterfly friends from an evil tornado. (laughs) It was like a children's (laughs) book size, I imagine. Yeah, it was a few chapters long. (laughs) I don't think it has... 
I don't I think children's books are just children's books. I don't know that they like classify them like we do adult books. You're right. <laughs> like my daughter, I mean, we have like, you know, the little one, the Ron Dahl ones. Like we have yeah. those little ones, but then we also have like chapter books. Like I just got her like a series of unfortunate events and Ooh, nice. a couple yeah. other series. So like those are chaptered ones. I mean, they're all considered yeah. children's books. <laughs> It's just as I get older, you know, the books get longer. <laughs> right, more in depth. <laughs> so you started writing in first grade. Did you continue to write all through school or did you kind of like stop and take breaks or how did yeah, that work? Yeah, I stopped work? and took breaks. Um, I think I really started picking up writing again about eighth grade. Okay. It's kind of funny. Um, I was in a choir class with two friends who also love to write. Okay. And as we were singing, we would be writing in our notebooks the entire time instead of watching the director. And we'd be like exchanging notes and writing little stories. And he's going, what are they doing? Pretty much. <laughs> so I think that's probably when I started picking it up again. And from then on, I just always have been writing. Okay. Now you just released, I was trying to Amazon you. You have one book out, right? Yes. Okay. So how long did it, when did you start? Is that the first full one that like full length grown up book that you've written? Or um, did you have one before that, that like, you know, you hid under your bed or whatever? <laughs> yeah, there's one that's hidden under the bed. I might get to eventually under a pen name. <laughs> so how long did it take you to write the first full length one? Beginning to the end um, before any edits? Definitely. Um. I started this one that I've published in 2013. Okay. And I didn't finish it till 2020. Okay. So that one took me seven years to write the first just draft. <laughs> life getting in the way or just took a long time to figure it out? Long time to figure it out. Um, I also didn't ever set myself a goal, which is, okay. you know, a huge important thing. <laughs> but it was always the goal of, finish it when I finish and I'll publish <laughs> when I publish which doesn't work so, so. you've learned since then <laughs> yes absolutely book two is already done and almost about to get published now you have you very because I saw you also have an audiobook so you did that at the same time or did you wait a little bit after publishing uh pretty much at the same time so I published it and then right before I published, I ended up hiring Nicole James for the audio mm -hmm. narration. Um, and then she started recording in September, like a few weeks after after I published it. So it was pretty mm -hmm. much all at the same time. Okay. And so how did you, so you, let's rewind a little bit. So you take <laughs> seven years to write a book. Then once you... I mean, that's not the longest that I've heard. So like, don't worry. Uh, so what did you do once you, you know, typed the end or finished or whatever you put at the end of your book? What did you do after that? Like, what was the next step that you took before you published it? Definitely. Yeah. So the next step that I took, um, I took a huge break from it. That was one of the first things I did. Okay. But I ended up finding someone to read it as uh, just a friend okay as a beta reader which you know isn't necessarily suggested to have beta readers be friends but I did yeah. 
and it was okay. She was fantastic. Um, she was the first person ever to read my book, and it was great. So, so did she that's get... pretty much what I did next. So I think the the frowned upon thing is the sending it to a friend who's just like, a, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. If your friend gives you like constructive criticism, I think that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's kind of the job of a beta reader is like constructive criticism. Exactly. So, so was exactly. your friend the, oh my gosh, it's amazing or actually helpful version? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of both. Okay. She definitely, I feel like, I mean, that draft was, uh, it was a garbage fire. It was horrible. She loved it though. <laughs> she talked it up to other people. So I know she was definitely on that side of it's amazing, but she did add a few scenes mm-hmm. that I ended up putting into the final draft that she suggested. So she helped a lot with that. Kind of like a, Hey, a scene about this would be helpful. Yeah. Or this scene just wasn't enough. You should do this with it instead. And so, I mean, she helped mm. quite a bit with some of that, okay. which was good. So you had her look through it and then what did you do next? Next, then um, I went through and self-edited as much as I could. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually at the time was planning on uh, traditionally publishing. Okay. So I was looking into querying, looking into all of that, putting it off because I was so scared to start any of that. But um, I ended up just finding a few other random beta readers, one who, you know, I've been really good friends with now since. Um, but yeah, I had a few more beta readers and then it just like one day hit me that I needed to self-publish instead. So did you ever end up querying? No. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I'm like looking at my own stuff and I'm like, you know, I think I'd be okay if a publisher came to me, but like, I don't want to go through all the time and effort of the querying process. Exactly. Like, it sounds a like a, I, got a, I have a lot already going on. Like, that just sounds like too many things. It's a lot. I, kudos to people who do it, honestly. Yeah. So you decided to self-publish. Where did you get like your, you had beta readers go through it. Did you have an editor also go through it or do you use them kind of as your editors? A little bit of both. So one of the beta readers, um, I actually ended up hiring as a developmental editor. Okay. Uh, This was her first book to ever do it. So she's brand new to the field, but she did a really good job. Um, And then after I had her, you know, few more beta readers that she went back through it again. She probably (laughs) went through that book a good seven or eight times. I felt so bad for her. (laughs) So the only people that know it better than you are her and your narrator. (laughs) Absolutely. I go to her for questions in book two. I'm like, okay, now this character in book one, did they do this? And she's like, no, Kelsey. She pulls out her notes and she's like, okay, this is what. (laughs) Hey, that is helpful. (laughs) It is. (laughs) So you did that. How did you do your cover? So I, I mean, Googled. Facebook, I joined so many cover Facebook groups, and I'm still in all of them. Mm-hmm. But there was one cover artist who I saw this most beautiful, vibrant, like a butterfly garden fantasy scene. Okay. And though that cover never would fit my genre, like my dark contemporary genre, mm-hmm. um, I was obsessed with that cover. And I wanted <laughs> to buy it outright. <laughs> And so I ended up hiring that artist. 
Um, and yeah, that's kind of just how I ended up finding her is because that cover just spoke to me, even though I never got it. Another author bought it for a friend uh, oh, before no. I could. <laughs> Have they published their book? Do you know? Uh, yes, I believe that first one is now published. Okay. And yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just know like there's some things like um I'll audition for an audiobook and then I'll get noticed like someone else got it and then I'll come across like it'll be one of my narrator friends on TikTok and I'm like, oh hey, no wonder I lost out because they're amazing. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's part of the job. Right. So, so you you find the perfect cover artist and have your cover made. Did you like since you decided not to query, I'm guessing you, you know, kind of figured out, was it more Facebook groups that helped you actually get it published? Like, you know, up in all the locations to sell? Um, like, how did you go about that process? Yeah, so it was actually a Facebook group, um, specifically a messenger group that I ended up joining. Okay. That I've become insanely close with all the authors. I think there's only like 12 or 13 of us in this messenger group. Okay. but. I joined last June-ish, thereabouts. And I mean, we talk every day, or they talk every day. I I chime in once or twice a week. (laughs) (laughs) That's, I feel like that's how I am with like discords. It's like, I'll chime in like, you know, when I think about like, oh, you haven't been on discord in a while. (laughs) (laughs) They're the ones that really steered me. Okay. So you have, I'm guessing you have people of varying publishing yes. status in that group. <laughs> yes. So where did the, where do the ideas for your stories come from? So for this one, it started with just a simple idea of a girl being tossed around like a chess piece mm-hmm. um, and being thrown into a game. Now that has changed. Okay. And very much so is quite different from that original idea, but that's where it came from, honestly, is I just wanted to write a story about a a protagonist who, you know, was being used as a pawn. And even okay. though that is still an underlying theme throughout the whole series, um, it's it's quite different now. <laughs> <laughs> so where did that, I like, how did that idea come to you? Um... I think I was reading a book and I'm not a hundred percent certain what I was reading, Okay, <laughs> but they were playing chess and they were just talking about like the strategy behind chess. And it was some fantasy novel. I know that. And it just like struck a chord with me. I was like, Oh, I just want to write about a girl who, who's a pawn. <laughs> <a> simple idea. <laughs> so you said you already have book two written. Um, so like kind of once you published book one, what did you do like afterwards? I mean, you found, how'd you find Nicole to do the audiobook? Like, what did you kind of do once you had hit publish on it? Yeah. So published it. I mean, once you publish it, it's out. It's just scary. But I found Nicole through TikTok. I went through, um, you know, just looked up voice narrators I never came across you I only went you know found like four or five but as soon as I heard Nicole's voice I just emailed her and said all right can you be my narrator (laughs) (laughs) it's one of those like it's so I got into narrating in like August of 2021 
I'm scrolling okay. through and I joined TikTok late because I think I didn't join TikTok until like July of 21. Like it was, it took me forever to join. So I was scrolling through and came across like a clickbait, you know, those job ones where it's oh, like, yeah. make some ridiculous amount of money doing this job that you know, well, people with brains that think logically know like that's not actually it might list that as an amount you could make on there, but you know, like yeah. normal people don't make a thousand dollars an hour narrating audiobooks right. or everybody would be doing it. So I'm like, awesome. let's let's search some actual narrators and find actual people that do the job and found Natalie Nottis. And there's um on TikTok, his name is Tom Voiceover. And they actually had at the time they had both just done a here's how to get started series of videos. Oh awesome. Yeah. So like with within a month I had my little closet here set up. Um, not the same microphone setup. I started on the cheap because it was like, well, if no one ever hires me, I don't want to spend a ton of money. Yes, so exactly. um, I have not had a break since I started. <laughs> beyond <laughs> beyond the vacations I scheduled for myself, I have not had That's a break. Awesome. So I'm like, we're, we're doing good. But yeah, it, it was the same. Like I searched narrators and I came across like a few um, and I was still relatively early into the like narrators being on TikTok thing. Mm. So there just there weren't a lot on there at the time. Um, and it's crazy because now like I'm still like I consider myself like small, small time narrators. And there's these like big time narrators like Andy Arndt, who's like on Audible's like Hall of Fame for narrators. She yeah. joined TikTok and like followed me almost immediately. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> someone famous yeah someone someone big um but then also like i'm i'm always slightly like man i hope they don't like comment on my video like why are you doing that <laughs> it's the same with writing like you just hope that you don't get a you know someone critiquing your process or whatever right. it's like i'm just yeah. gonna stay in my corner you can stay over in your corner like it's okay <laughs> what works is what works so you were scrolling through TikTok specifically looking for narrators to narrate your yeah. book? Yeah, I had no clue about like find away voices um, where you can, you know, audition, ACX. I had no idea. You could actually mm -hmm. go through, post something and a bunch of narrators would audition for you. So I just found, found voices one. I liked on TikTok. And <laughs> Luckily, she was already a narrator. <laughs> I had like yeah. one person reach out to me and they're like, I gave a very much obvious that I am in the industry thing. And they're like, oh, you're a narrator. I'm like, how did you find me? Like, Oh, you commented on my post in a narrator's Facebook group. Oh, I'm like, <laughs> okay. That's I mean, funny. the logic was not working well that day, apparently, but like. I'm like, no. if you found me in a narrator's group, why did you not figure out that, like, I don't, I don't know. I <laughs> the don't two know. and two do not equate. Uh, apparently, apparently they did not. It was also like 1030 at night at this time. So I'm like, I'm tired. Maybe you're tired too. I don't know. <laughs> so you find her, you get her to agree to do your book that would have been around the time that we were all doing like the femme takeovers and stuff yeah yeah because i was like yeah. november that's no it started in july but i think there was one in november i had i've missed a bunch of them because of life <laughs> so 
<laughs> my mother-in-law was in town, my very, very Christian mother-in-law. And I'm like, if I get a bunch of spicy books I'm having to narrate these scenes for, that is not going <laughs> to work. I think at the time, though, I was narrating an erotica in my closet while she's staying with us. So I'm like, oops. That's awesome. I'm like, just don't ask questions. She knows I narrate. My entire family knows that I narrate. I do not narrate under my legal name. This is not under my legal name. I'm like, we will separate things so that they never know. Exactly. Same with books. Same with books. I separate separate those out. (laughs) (laughs) So you had the developmental editor come in. You Mm -hmm. wrote the first book. You hit publish. You had the audio book done. How long did it take you to write book two? Uh, Four months. Well, that's much shorter. Get your process down. Absolutely. And did you have the same developmental editor or have you gone through that any of that process yet? No, not yet. I... And changing things up, you know, just trying to figure out different ways to go about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to try this time doing a lot more beta readers. Okay. And see if that works. Okay. that's. I think I'm going to try the same thing. Just... <laughs> <laughs> it's cheaper. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of my thinking, too. Um, I mean, I'm not opposed to hiring an editor. And I've actually found one that I love her videos and like her thought process for things so I'm like if I use one that's who I want to use um but I'm also like you know money so (laughs) exactly the good thing is my narrator is free (laughs) that's good (laughs) I mean I just have to pay myself in food and time so That's why I say your time's not free, but you are free, yes. Yes, yeah. So the my book, I'm going to try to do like you did where they release it around the same time, but that also depends on like my other audiobook schedule, but also it's taking me forever to write the book because of everything else. So I'm like, I'm like, hopefully I can, I'm like, I wanted to publish last year, but hmm. time-wise it, that was an unrealistic yeah. goal. So I'm like, maybe this year we'll see. I've like, made myself write every day so far this year not for long just I'm like 10 I can commit to 10 minutes a day we're gonna commit to that you know that's good and build on it (laughs) exactly you've got to commit to at least one goal and then you'll be good (laughs) so what is your like writing process look like you just kind of I don't know what does your writing process look like you have an idea you had the idea you, yeah, <laughs> well, I guess let's start with book two, because you would have like had the process down a little bit at that point. <laughs> yeah. Um, writing process. I don't know if I really have one per se. I <laughs> sit down when I feel like I want to write and I have a word goal count that I wrote word count goal that I want to meet. And So is it an every just, day or once a week? Yeah, every, every day for book two. Um, Basically every day. I had a, you know, you burn out really quickly. Yeah. So there was a few times. sick. Things come up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, there was a couple times I took a two or three day break. But but yeah, pretty much every day I just tried to write 2,500 words and then um, it worked. You got the next one done much, much faster. We're about to go into the editing process. (laughs) And so this one, when are you planning to 
Do you have a, a goal or you know, some kind of a goal set for having the second one done? Yeah, sorry. Dog scratching at the door. Let me let him in. <laughs> I wonder what that was. <laughs> That's a weird sound. <laughs> he, he wants in. All right. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping to have that published by the end of May. Okay, so about, what, eight months between books? Yeah, they're about. Okay. And you already have Nicole on standby? <laughs> yes. <laughs> she knows she's hired for part for book two. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to get it out as quickly, though, this time. Okay. So. Well, that, she's been pretty steadily busy, it she's seems. so busy, back to back. I love watching, like, the voiceover and the narrators and all that, like, their videos of them doing it. Even yeah. the authors, like I come across authors doing lives with like, you know, them just like basically group writing with all their <laughs> their author friends. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> done that a few times. So what are you doing to promote your book at this time? Um, Mostly TikTok. Right. Uh, just because book talk, you know, is fabulous. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also, I've been going through the last uh, two weeks. Mm-hmm. A five-day author, uh, like, Amazon ad challenge. Okay. Um, so I'm really learning a lot in depth about Amazon ads, surprising by, you know, how complex they actually are. So that's basically it. TikTok and Amazon ads. <laughs> well, I feel like, so your book is exclusively on Amazon, right? As of right now, yes. Okay. Minus the audiobook, of course. I mean, I feel like, so I've done not book advertising yet, obviously, but I've done like podcast advertising and like, I feel like Facebook ads used to be the go-to, but now there's so many like getting yeah. hits on. Usually like people would comment on my podcast videos and it would be like rude people all the time. Oh. And I'm like, really? Be like, gosh, you sound so like robotic or gosh, you know, like basically they just don't like my style of narrating. And I'm like, well, go somewhere else. Like yeah. you don't have to leave a rude comment. Oh my goodness. Now for some, like, <laughs> have you read through your reviews? Yeah. I don't have very many. So yes. <laughs> and are you one that takes them constructively or gets a little offended? It depends. It, it depends. The type of review. I've mm. The lowest I've gotten is three stars, which isn't that's, bad. That's pretty good. Yeah, so far. I'm only at 22 reviews, so I mean, it's really not bad. But one review, one thing that I don't take too well is when someone says my writing just outright sucks. Mm. Like that, I mean, this is like my new career, right? Like that, that yeah. hurts a little bit critiquing the story critiquing the characters critiquing anything like that I'm totally fine with the mm-hmm. book wasn't for them you know that's totally fine yeah but yeah one of the reviews did say she was like I just did not like the writing style at all it just was horrible and I was like mm. <laughs> that's I mean that's also pretty you know depending on you know if they only like you know, thriller books, or if they only like, you know, nonfiction books and they stumble into a fantasy, <laughs> yeah, that's going to be <laughs> not a good style for them. <laughs> yeah, I've had a couple audiobooks where I got like, it would be like one, like literally the day it came out, it got returned. 
Like, someone bought it and returned it and left one star. But, like, the book itself, I'm like, mm. Plus, it was, like, early, like, just learning how to narrate fiction days for me. Yeah. And so it was, like, fit. like some of my early stuff now, when I get bad reviews, I'm like, yeah, about... So I started narrating fiction in like February of last year. Okay. I had I have a daily fiction podcast as well. So I was doing fiction for that starting in September, October of 21. But then like I didn't really start learning how to narrate. Like I would do it, but it was like a, you know, dipping your toe in and kind of like getting yeah. comfortable with the reading. Um, so I started like actual putting, you know, audiobooks onto Audible in February of last year. And so, like, some of my early stuff, I would say the summer is about when I finally hit my, like, okay, now you're an actual narrator groove. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, anything prior to, and I, now there's one book that I did, and I am very, there's one, it was, like, my second or third book. And that one I did a really good job on. And, like, the other ones, I'm like, why were they so (laughs) weird compared (laughs) to that one? But, I mean, it is what it is. I can't, like, I'm not going to go back and re-record everybody's book for a year. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, that would be horrible. I listened back to some of the early stuff, though, and I'm just, like, when I get a bad review on it, I'm, like, fair. Like, (laughs) I didn't know what I was doing. Nowadays, I'm, like, man, I did an awesome job. Why didn't you like it? (laughs) But the reviews now are less mean. They're more like, you know, this narrator's just, it's it's ones that it's just, I'm not their style, and that's okay. Yeah. Or I'll do a duet, like a dual POV by myself, and they don't like that I wasn't a male for the male chapters. <laughs> I'm like, well, you know what? Author paid me on royalty share, and you can't split that yeah, yeah. three ways. So, yeah. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I try I try not to some of them I just laugh at and I've gotten like some on the podcast and stuff that I just laugh at some of them and my husband will be cracking up because I'm just like really <laughs> <laughs> I had one it was I think it was for this no 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 it was the fiction podcast so it was I was doing the life and adventures of Santa Claus which is by L Frank Baum okay. and it's like it's a super cool story it's like he's a guy that wrote Wizard of Oz um, and so it's like a story about like it starts uh, with like Santa as a baby and like these like fairies and elves have to take care of him. And it's like his life <laughs> growing up to being old yeah. and then making him immortal. And there's one part where he's describing like how he makes the reindeer harnesses. And it's so, like I'm describing how to make a reindeer harness. So like you're not going to get this nice fantasy flowing prose with it. It's it's leather harness for god's sakes and they're like she sounds like a news reporter it's awful and i'm like you try to describe a reindeer harness and make it sound entertaining (laughs) like just for days afterwards i'd be like a reindeer harness and my husband would just start laughing (laughs) (laughs) sometimes i feel like you have to laugh at it because, like, at the end of the day, like, you don't know if they were just having a bad day. Right. Um, if you just weren't there. It's so terrible being in, like, an artist space where it's like you're not going to be everyone's favorite and it sucks. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's going to happen. So you're trying not to take them to heart. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying my best. And honestly... Most of the reviews have really nice critiques and then that I, you know, I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. But I just sent out uh, 46 
audiobook copies to people. Okay. To to technically arc read. Um and I'll start getting those reviews in soon. <laughs> no, is it it's not arc if it's already come out, is it? Technically, yeah. I don't know what to call it though. <laughs> Three uh, copies to get. I in. don't know. I can't get people to take them, so I haven't figured out what to call them yet. <laughs> I'm like, I will give them for free, and no one ever bites. So I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'll keep them until one day when I'm big and famous, and everybody wants my <laughs> free <Right in> audiobooks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's um, yeah, the audiobook codes. I've had you know some people say like, oh, I got it the publisher must have given them a code and so say you know rating reviewing this which with those ones depending on how they got it because there's actually like i think there's this for books too but there's platforms for audiobooks where like you pay like i don't know a certain amount for each title and you can put your codes on there so you're getting like random people that just Mm -hmm. get free codes like i feel like you're more likely to get people that like don't like your genre that are listening to it and yeah where like you know you're like well yeah i'm gonna get a bad review if they only ever listen to mystery books or whatever right. or you'll go or you'll go look at their other reviews and they only ever review two stars <laughs> you're like maybe they just don't like anybody harsh, <laughs> harsh. <laughs> yeah I don't, can you do that for amazon reviews can you look at the book reviews and see what other ones they've reviewed because you can on audible just by kick, clicking their name I actually don't know. I mean, same thing with Goodreads. You can click their name and see all their reviews, but mm-hmm. I don't know about Amazon. Okay. Ooh. Yeah, I don't. I've never tried. I've done it through Audible. I've never tried through Amazon. Yeah. Yeah, I always kind of figure with like, and I I would like to say I'm going to take the same approach with writing, but my thing is like if i see like if people are reviewing and it's like a consistent like oh my gosh this person does this and it's like a that needs to be fixed thing you get coaching to get that thing fixed but like yes the reviews are always like oh my gosh i hate this person and then the next review will be like oh my gosh i love this person so it's like they're always contradicting exactly Um, but like with writing so narrating you're looking for like they're boring or they're I'm awful at accents, so I don't try. So, like, one of my bad reviews is they were like, I wish she would have done accents. And I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. They would have been awful, and you would not have liked that either. (laughs) (laughs) Things to work on this year. So, like, for books, I I would like to say I would take the same approach. Like, look for a consistent, you know, one person saying, I don't like her writing style. That that's one person's opinion. Everybody exactly. saying this is a terribly written book. Then that might be something to consider. <laughs> that that's when you take it down and you send it to another editor to yes. look it over, <laughs> or more beta readers or whatever. <laughs> Kelsey liked Thumbelina growing up. Thumbelina is a literary novel, bedtime story, fairy tale, written by the famous Danish author Hans Christian Andersen first published by C.A. Reitzel on 16 December 1835 in Copenhagen, Denmark, with The Naughty Boy and The Traveling Companion, in the second installment of fairy tales told for children. Thumbelina is about a tiny girl and her adventures with marriage-minded toads, moles, and cockchafers. 
She successfully avoids her intentions before falling in love with a flower fairy prince just her size. Thumbelina is chiefly Anderson's invention, though he did take inspiration from tales of miniature people such as Tom Thumb. Thumbelina was published as one of a series of seven fairy tales in 1835, which were not well-received by the Danish critics who disliked their informal style and their lack of morals. One critic, however, applauded Thumbelina. The earliest English translation of Thumbelina is dated 1846. A tale has been adapted to various media, including television drama and animated film. Today we'll be reading Thumbelina by Hans Christian Andersen. Don't forget we're reading Les Mortes d'Arthur, the story of King Arthur and of his noble knights of the round table on our Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. Little Thumbelina There was once a woman who wished very much to have a little child. She went to a fairy and said, I should so very much like to have a little child. Can you tell me where I can find one? Oh, that can be easily managed, said the fairy. Here is a barley corn. It is not exactly of the same sort as those which grow in the farmer's fields and which the chickens eat. Put it into a flower pot and see what will happen. Thank you, said the woman. And she gave the fairy twelve shillings, which was the price of the barley corn. Then she went home and planted it. And there grew up a large, handsome flower, somewhat like a tulip in appearance, but with its leaves tightly closed as if it were still a bud. It is a beautiful flower, said the woman. And she kissed the red and golden-colored petals. And as she did so, the flower opened. And she could see that it was a real tulip, but within the flower, upon the green velvet stamens, sat a very delicate and graceful little maiden. She was scarcely half as long as a thumb, and they gave her the name of Little Thumb or Thumbelina, because she was so small. A walnut shell elegantly polished served her for a cradle. Her bed was formed of blue violet leaves with a rose leaf for a counterpane. Here she slept at night. But during the day, she amused herself on a table, where the peasant wife had placed a plate full of water. Round this plate were wreaths of flowers with their stems in the water, and upon it floated a large tulip leaf, which served the little one for a boat. Here she sat and rowed herself from side to side, with two oars made of white horsehair. It was a very pretty sight. Thumbelina could also sing so softly and sweetly, that nothing like her singing had ever before been heard. One night while she lay in her pretty bed, a large, ugly, wet toad crept through a broken pane of glass in the window and leapt right upon the table where she lay sleeping under her rose-leaf quilt. What a pretty little wife this would make for my son, said the toad. And she took up the walnut shell in which Thumbelina lay asleep and jumped through the window with it into the garden. In the swampy margin of a broad stream in the garden lived the toad with her son. He was uglier even than his mother. And when he saw the pretty little maiden in her elegant bed, he could only cry, Croak, croak, croak. Don't speak so loud or she will wake, said the toad. And then she might run away, for she's as light as a swan's down. We will place her on one of the water lily leaves out in the stream. It will be like an island to her. She is so light and small, and then she cannot escape. 
And while she's there, we will make haste and prepare the stateroom under the marsh in which you are to live when you are married. Far out in the stream grew a number of water lilies with broad green leaves which seemed to float on the top of the water. The largest of these leaves appeared farther off than the rest, and the old toad swam out to it with the walnut shell in which Thumbelina still lay asleep. The tiny creature woke very early in the morning and began to cry bitterly when she found where she was, for she could see nothing but water on every side of the large green leaf, and no way of reaching the land. Meanwhile, the old toad was very busy under the marsh, decking her room with rushes and yellow wildflowers to make it look pretty for her new daughter-in-law. Then she swam out with her ugly son to the leaf on which she had placed poor Thumbelina. She wanted to bring the pretty bed, that she might put it in the bridal chamber to be ready for her. The old toad bowed low to her in the water and said, "'Here is my son.' He will be your husband, and you will live happily together in the marsh by the stream. Croak, 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 was all her son could say for himself. So the toad took up the elegant little bed and swam away with it, leaving Thumbelina all alone on the green leaf, where she sat and wept. She could not bear to think of living with the old toad and having her ugly son for a husband. The little fishes who swam about in the water beneath had seen the toad and heard what she said, so now they lifted their heads above the water to look at the little maiden. As soon as they caught sight of her, they saw she was very pretty, and it vexed them to think that she must go and live with the ugly toads. No, it must never be! So they gathered together in the water, round the green stalk which held the leaf on which the little maiden stood, and nodded away at the root with their teeth. Then the leaf floated down the stream, carrying Thumbelina far away out of reach of land. Thumbelina sailed past many towns, and the little birds in the bushes saw her and sang, What a lovely little creature! So the leaf swam away with her farther and farther, till it brought her to other lands. A graceful little white butterfly constantly fluttered round her, and at last alighted on the leaf. The little maiden pleased him, and she was glad of it, for now the toad could not possibly reach her, and the country through which she sailed was beautiful and the sun shone upon the water till it glittered like liquid gold. She took off her girdle and tied one end of it round the butterfly, fastening the other end of the ribbon to the leaf, which now glided on much faster than before, taking Thumbelina with it as she stood. Presently, a large cockchafer flew by. The moment he caught sight of her, he seized her round her delicate waist with his claws and flew with her into a tree. A green leaf floated away on the brook and the butterfly flew with it, for he was fastened to it and could not get away. Oh, how frightened Thumbelina felt when the cockchafer flew with her to the tree, but especially was she sorry for the beautiful white butterfly which she had fastened to the leaf. For if he could not free himself, he would die of hunger. But the cockchafer did not trouble himself at all about the matter. He seated himself by her side, on a large green leaf, gave her some honey from the flowers to eat, and told her she was very pretty, though not in the least like a cockchafer. After a time, all the cockchafers who lived in the tree came to pay Thumbelina a visit. They stared at her, and then the young lady cockchafers took up their feelers and said, She has only two legs. How ugly that looks. She has no feelers, said another. Her waist is quite slim. Pooh. She is like a human being. 
Oh, she is ugly, said all the lady cockchafers. The cockchafer who had run away with her believed all the others when they said she was ugly. He would have nothing more to say to her, and told her she might go where she liked. Then he flew down with her from the tree and placed her on a daisy. And she wept at the thought that she was so ugly that even the cockchafers would have nothing to say to her. And all the while she was really the loveliest creature that one could imagine, and as tender and delicate as a beautiful rose leaf. During the whole summer, poor little Thumbelina lived quite alone in the wide forest. She wove herself a bed with blades of grass and hung it up under a broad leaf to protect herself from the rain. She sucked the honey from the flowers for food and drank the dew from their leaves every morning. So passed away the summer and the autumn. And then came the winter, the long, cold winter. All the birds who had sung to her so sweetly had flown away, and the trees and the flowers had withered. The large shamrock under the shelter of which she had lived was now rolled together and shriveled up. Nothing remained but a yellow, withered stalk. She felt dreadfully cold, for her clothes were torn, and she was herself so frail and delicate that she was nearly frozen to death. It began to snow, too, and the snowflakes as they fell upon her were like a whole shovelful falling upon one of us, for we are tall. But she was only an inch high. She wrapped herself in a dry leaf, but it cracked in the middle and could not keep her warm, and she shivered with cold. Near the wood in which she had been living was a large cornfield, but the corn had been cut a long time. Nothing remained but the bare, dry stubble, standing up out of the frozen ground. It was to her like struggling through a large wood. Oh, how she shivered with the cold. She came at last to the door of a field mouse, who had a little din under the corn stubble. There dwelt the field mouse in warmth and comfort, with a whole roomful of corn a kitchen, and a beautiful dining room. Poor Thumbelina stood before the door, just like a little beggar girl, and asked for a small piece of barley corn, for she'd been without a morsel to eat for two days. You poor little creature, said the field mouse, for she was really a good old mouse. Come into my warm room and dine with me. She was pleased with Thumbelina, so she said... You are quite welcome to stay with me all the winter if you like, but you must keep my rooms clean and neat and tell me stories, for I shall like to hear them very much. And Thumbelina did all that the field mouse asked her, and found herself very comfortable. We shall have a visitor soon, said the field mouse one day. My neighbor pays me a visit once a week. He's better off than I am. He has large rooms and wears a beautiful black velvet coat. If you could only have him for a husband, you would be well provided for indeed. But he is blind, so you must tell him some of your prettiest stories. Thumbelina did not feel at all interested about this neighbor, for he was a mole. However, he came and paid his visit, dressed in his black velvet coat. He is very rich and learned, and his house is twenty times larger than mine, said the field mouse. He was rich and learned, no doubt, but he always spoke slightingly of the sun and the pretty flowers, because he had never seen them. Thumbelina was obliged to sing him Ladybird, Ladybird, Fly Away Home, and many other pretty songs. And the mole fell in love with her because she had so sweet a voice, but he said nothing yet, for he was very prudent and cautious, 
A short time before, the mole had dug a long passage under the earth, which led from the dwelling of the field mouse to his own, and here she had permission to walk with Thumbelina whenever she liked. But he warned them not to be alarmed at the sight of a dead bird which lay in the passage. It was a perfect bird, with a beak and feathers, and could not have been dead long. It was lying just where the mole had made his passage. The mole took in his mouth a piece of phosphorescent wood, which glittered like fire in the dark. Then he went before them to light them through the long, dark passage. When they came to the spot where the dead bird lay, the mole pushed his broad nose through the ceiling, so that the earth gave way and the daylight shone into the passage. In the middle of the floor lay a swallow. His beautiful wings pulled close to his sides, his feet and head drawn up under his feathers. The poor bird had evidently died of the cold. It made little Thumbelina very sad to see it. She did so love the little birds. All the summer they had sung and twittered for her so beautifully. But the mole pushed it aside with his crooked legs and said, He will sing no more now. How miserable it must be to be born a little bird. I'm thankful that none of my children will ever be birds, for they can do nothing but cry tweet tweet and must always die of hunger in the winter. Yes, you may well say that as a clever man, exclaimed the field mouse. What is the use of his twittering if when winter comes he must either starve or be frozen to death? Still, birds are very high-bred. Thumbelina said nothing. But when the two others had turned their backs upon the bird, she stooped down and stroked aside the soft feathers which covered his head and kissed the closed eyelids. Perhaps this was the one who sang to me so sweetly in the summer, she said. And how much pleasure it gave me, you dear pretty bird. The mole now stopped up the hole through which the daylight shone and then accompanied the ladies home. But during the night, Thumbelina could not sleep, so she got out of bed and wove a large, beautiful carpet of hay. She carried it to the dead bird and spread it over him, with some down from the flowers which she had found in the field mouse's room. It was as soft as wool, and she spread some of it on each side of the bird, so that he might lie warmly in the cold earth. Farewell, pretty little bird, said she. Farewell. Thank you for your delightful singing during the summer, when all the trees were green and the warm sun shone upon us. And she laid her head on the bird's breast. But she was alarmed, for it seemed as if something inside the bird went thump, thump. It was the bird's heart. He was not really dead, only benumbered with the cold, and the warmth had restored him to life. In autumn, all the swallows fly away into warm countries. But if one happens to linger, the cold seizes it, and it becomes chilled and falls down as if dead. It remains where it fell, and the cold snow covers it. Thumbelina trembled very much. She was quite frightened, for the bird was large, a great deal larger than herself. She was only an inch high, but she took courage, laid the wool more thickly over the poor swallow, and then took a leaf which she had used for her own counterpane and laid it over his head. The next night she again stole out to see him. He was alive but very weak. He could only open his eyes for a moment to look at Thumbelina, who stood by holding a piece of decayed wood in her hand, for she had no other lantern. Thank you, pretty little maiden, said the sick swallow. I've been so nicely warmed that I shall soon regain my strength and be able to fly about again in the warm sunshine. Oh, said she, 
It is cold out of doors now. It snows and freezes. Stay in your warm bed. I will take care of you. She brought the swallow some water in a flower leaf. And after he had drunk, he told her that he had wounded one of his wings in a thorn bush and could not fly as fast as the others, who were soon far away on their journey to warm countries. At last he had fallen to the earth and could remember nothing more, nor how he came to be where she found him. All the winter the swallow remained underground, and Thumbelina nursed him with care and love. She did not tell either the mole or the field mouse anything about it, for they did not like swallows. Very soon the springtime came, and the sun warmed the earth. Then the swallow bade farewell to Thumbelina, and she opened the hole in the ceiling which the mole had made. The sun shone in upon them so beautifully that the swallow asked her if she would go with him. She could sit on his back, he said, and he would fly away with her into the green woods. But she knew it would grieve the field mouse if she left her in that manner. So she said, No, I cannot. Farewell, then. Farewell, you good, pretty little maiden, said the swallow, and he flew out into the sunshine. Thumbelina looked after him, and the tears rose in her eyes. She was very fond of the poor swallow. Tweet, tweet, sang the bird, as he flew out into the green woods, and Thumbelina felt very sad. She was not allowed to go out into the warm sunshine. The corn, which had been sowed in the field over the house of the field mouse, had grown up high into the air and formed a thick wood to Thumbelina, who was only an inch in height. You are going to be married, little one, said the field mouse. My neighbor has asked for you. What good fortune for a poor child like you. Now we will prepare your wedding clothes. They must be woolen and linen. Nothing must be wanting when you are the wife of the mole. Thumbelina had to turn the spindle, and the field mouse hired four spiders who were to weave day and night. Every evening the mole visited her and was continually speaking of the time when the summer would be over. Then he would keep his wedding day with Thumbelina. But now the heat of the sun was so great that it burned the earth and made it hard like stone. As soon as the summer was over, the wedding should take place. But Thumbelina was not at all pleased, for she did not like the tiresome mole. Every morning when the sun rose, and every evening when it went down, she would creep out at the door. And as the wind blew aside the ears of corn so that she could see the blue sky, she thought how beautiful and bright it seemed out there, and wished so much to see her dear friend, the swallow, again. But he never returned for by this time he had flown far away into the lovely green forest. When autumn arrived, Thumbelina had her outfit quite ready, and the field mouse said to her, In four weeks the wedding must take place. Then she wept and said she would not marry the disagreeable mole. Nonsense, replied the field mouse. Now don't be obstinate or I shall bite you with my white teeth. He's a very handsome mole. The queen herself does not wear more beautiful velvets and furs. His kitchens and cellars are quite full. You ought to be very thankful for such good fortune. So the wedding day was fixed, on which the mole was to take her away to live with him, deep under the earth, and never again to see the warm sun because he did not like it. The poor child was very unhappy at the thought of saying farewell to the beautiful sun, and as the field mouse had given her permission to stand at the door, she went to look at it once more. Farewell, bright sun she cried, 
stretching out her arms towards it. Then she walked a short distance from the house, for the corn had been cut, and only the dry stubble remained in the fields. Farewell. Farewell, she repeated, twining her arm around a little red flower that grew just by her side. Greet the little swallow from me if you should see him again. Tweet, tweet, sounded over her head suddenly. She looked up, and there was the swallow himself flying close by. As soon as he spied Thumbelina, he was delighted. She told him how unwilling she was to marry the ugly mole, and to live always beneath the earth, never more to see the bright sun. And as she told him, she wept. Cold winter is coming, said the swallow, and I'm going to fly away into warmer countries. Will you go with me? You can sit on my back and fasten yourself on with your sash. Then we can fly away from the ugly mole and his gloomy rooms, far away, over the mountains into warmer countries where the sun shines more brightly than here, where it is always summer and the flowers bloom in greater beauty. Fly now with me, dear little one. You saved my life when I lay frozen in that dark, dreary passage. Yes, I will go with you, said Thumbelina. And she seated herself on the bird's back, with her feet on his outstretched wings, and tied her girdle to one of his strongest feathers. The swallow rose in the air and flew over the forest and over sea, high above the highest mountains covered with eternal snow. Thumbelina would have been frozen in the cold air, but she crept under the bird's warm feathers, keeping her little head uncovered so that she might admire the beautiful lands over which they passed. At length, they reached the warm countries, where the sun shines brightly, and the sky seems so much higher above the earth. Here on the hedges and by the wayside grew purple, green, and white grapes. Lemons and oranges hung from trees in the fields, and the air was fragrant with myrtles and orange blossoms. Beautiful children ran along the country lanes, playing with large gay butterflies, and as the swallow flew farther and farther, every place appeared still more lovely. At last they came to a blue lake, and by the side of it, shaded by trees of the deepest green, stood a palace of dazzling white marble, built in the olden times. Vines clustered round its lofty pillars, and at the top were many swallows' nests, and one of these was the home of the swallow who carried Thumbelina. This is my house, said the swallow, but it would not do for you to live there. You would not be comfortable. You must choose for yourself one of those lovely flowers, and I will put you down upon it, and then you shall have everything that you can wish to make you happy. That will be delightful, she said, and clapped her little hands for joy. A large marble pillar lay on the ground which in falling had broken into three pieces. Between these pieces grew the most beautiful large white flowers. So the swallow flew down with Thumbelina and placed her on one of the broad leaves. But how surprised she was to see in the middle of the flower a tiny little man, as white and transparent as if he had been made of crystal. He had a gold crown on his head and delicate wings at his shoulders and was not much larger than was she herself. He was the angel of the flower, for a tiny man and a tiny woman dwell in every flower, and this was the king of them all. Oh, how beautiful he is, whispered Thumbelina to the swallow. The little prince was at first quite frightened at the bird, who was like a giant compared to such a delicate little creature as himself. 
But when he saw Thumbelina, he was delighted and thought her the prettiest little maiden he had ever seen. He took the gold crown from his head and placed it on hers and asked her name and if she would be his wife and queen over all the flowers. This certainly was a very different sort of husband from the son of the toad, or the mole with his black velvet and fur. So she said yes to the handsome prince. Then all the flowers opened, and out of each came a little lady or a tiny lord. All so pretty, it was quite a pleasure to look at them. Each of them brought Thumbelina a present, but the best gift was a pair of beautiful wings which had belonged to a large white fly, and they fastened them to Thumbelina's shoulders so that she might fly from flower to flower. Then there was much rejoicing, and the little swallow who sat above them in his nest was asked to sing a wedding song, which he did as well as he could. But in his heart he felt sad, for he was very fond of Thumbelina and would have liked never to part from her again. You must not be called Thumbelina anymore, said the spirit of the flowers to her. It is an ugly name, and you are so very lovely. We will call you Maya. Farewell, farewell, said the swallow, with a heavy heart as he left the warm countries, to fly back into Denmark. There he had a nest over the window of a house in which dwelt the writer of fairy tales. The swallow sang, Tweet, tweet. And from his song came the whole story. Thank you for joining Freya's Fairy Tales. Be sure to come back next week for the conclusion of Kelsey's journey to holding her own fairy tale in her hands and to hear another of her favorite fairy tales.